today on Doomed. Pay attention to your local races, everybody, because that's where the far right is focusing. On today's show, on today's episode, I should say, of Doomed with Matt Binder, we'll be looking into a new report from the Institute for Research and Education on Human Rights about how the far right is breaching the mainstream, how they've so far successfully infiltrated state politics. And let me pull up my guest who's going to run down and break down and get us all uh, in tune with what's going on here in this new report. Give me one second. We're having a... Little tech thing. Here we go. Okay, here we go. Joining me now, he's the executive director of the Institute for Research and Education on Human Rights, Devin Burghardt. Devin, thank you so much for joining me today. Hey, Matt, what's up? Uh, yeah, there's a, there's a lot going on in the world, isn't there? And oh, uh, yeah. it seems like none of it is good, right? Yeah, not at all. Yeah. And, um, you know, this report is also not good, but but I think this report, uh, unlike the other horrible things that uh, happen where there is no, I guess, upside, I think the upside in this report is that hopefully, uh, you know, it, it's a warning to people to start paying attention to local statewide races. I mean, I, I do think that um, we I mean, I could go down the line here. Uh, Democrats. Progressive left, progressives, leftists, everyone left of center has sort of dropped the ball here when it comes to um, the attention given to statewide races. You know, all we can talk really local races like, you know, school board and county, whatever. So you'll, you'll, you'll break down some more, I'm sure. But even to state legislatures, which this report really does focus on, you know, the people who make uh, the laws in the state where you live, where, you know, the federal government says, hey, it's up to the states. Um, you know, we pay a lot of attention to, to national politics and, you know, U.S. Congress members that we're seeing a lot of these far right, uh, you know, uh, individuals sort of realize this and take advantage and saying, hey, we could sneak on in here and uh, take over politics, at least at the state level. Uh, and then down the line again, you know, to local and such. Uh, and we can, you know, for the things that the federal government has over us, fine. But for the things that the state controls, that's ours, baby. I mean, that's what we're seeing here, right? Absolutely. You know, I think that, you know, over the last six months or so, a lot of people have caught on to the far right's efforts to do things like infiltrate school boards because of, you know, the fights over critical race theory and, you know, anti-trans stuff. But I think still missing in that middle is the the attention that needs to be paid to what's happening in state legislatures. Um, so in the wake of January 6th, we wanted to spend a lot of time kind of in a concentrated way, getting a sense of what this looked like at a national level, because, you know, we, we all knew the anecdotes, right? We knew about characters like Wendy Rogers in Arizona or Matt Shea here in Washington state or, you know, a few others like that. But we didn't really have any sense of how far far right politics had penetrated down into the mainstream. You know, that there's that old adage that um, the states are the laboratories of democracy. But what we found in doing this work is that in many respects, they've become a Frankenstein-like space for the worst kinds of anti-human rights and anti-democracy legislation being promoted by various individuals who have joined far-right Facebook groups. Right, right. So let's 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 talk. Let's go. Like, this is a for people. First of all, people should really go check out this report. It's there, there's a description in the uh, the YouTube link, uh, you know, on the, in the YouTube description. Excuse me. There's a link in the YouTube description and a link on the public Patreon post for the show um, for this episode. It's a very comprehensive report. It really goes. It's just not like, uh, you know, here's a few people. We, we go. We, we get down to the numbers here. 
in terms of you know which uh, how many uh, how many like uh, you know laws they've been involved with uh, shaping and, and and getting done in terms of legislative impact. So please check out the report because in our Geez, even if we talk for an hour, like you and I have gone before when you've been on this show, we are not going to get to uh, break down every aspect of this report. It's just not possible. So please, everyone go check out the link. Um, but let's first, I guess, talk about some of these legislature, uh, legislators. Excuse me. You brought up uh, Wendy Rogers. Let's, you know, I, I haven't really, I, I probably mentioned her uh, when it's come up on the second half of the show where, you know, someone will send me a tweet maybe or a clip, but I haven't really done anything on her yet. And for people who, you know, who's Wendy Rogers? She is, you know, she's from Arizona. You've probably seen her tweets going around. She's easily probably one of the um, most, most prolific uh, state uh, legislators uh, in terms of like an online presence who's like super far right. And, and I mean, even say not just like, I mean, there's obviously huge overlap, but like full on like conspiracy theorists too. Like obviously they're one and the same sometimes, but she's, she is one, she is one and the same for sure. <laughs> Um, so, so tell tell us a little bit about you know Wendy Rogers and you know how influential someone like her is in 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 their you know in their state. You know, we started the piece w with an anecdote about Wendy Rogers and her visit to Idaho to speak at a a rally for Janice McGeehan and a bunch of other far right legislators in that state. So, you know, it's not every day that a state senator travels halfway, you know across the country to speak at another rally. But for Wendy Rogers, she did it because she's got a lot of interesting ties. The first thing where she's tied into folks in Idaho and other state legislators around the country is she is one of the most active and prolific uh, voices on Telegram and other places uh, in the election denial scene. You know, she was very involved with the, you know, the audit down in uh, down in Arizona when they were, you know, fraudulently trying to recount the ballots. Um, she continues to go around talking about how the election was stolen uh, and that, you know, something needs to be done about it. So she's got that side of her work. But what also makes her interesting is she also has a bridge to the white nationalists. You know, she was one of the figures who spoke at the last uh, America First <laughs> Political Action Conference. Uh, the, you know, the gr group headed up by Nick Fuentes and the so-called Groypers. Um, she was one of those figures like, you know, other figures like Marjorie Taylor Greene and uh, Paul Gosar, who we know as federal legislators. But she was one of the state legislators who gave a gave a presentation and really helped kind of, again, provide legitimacy for this group of white nationalists. Uh, she is, sadly to say, only one of 875 legislators that we documented in this report. You know, that's legislators Come in on, all 50 say states. That, say, that, say that number again. 875. All right. So I, I want to be clear. We're not talking about because you know, I don't want anyone listening. And this is obviously not the majority of my audience. But I don't want anyone listening thinking like, oh, 875 Far right state legislators. What are they uh, for? Uh, lower taxes, or uh, they're just like uh, they they want like a uh, uh, little bit stronger gun rights or something, something like that. Or they're for free speech. No, no. no. <laughs> what 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 are we what are we talking about here when we classify 875 state legislators as far right? No, we drew a really clear, bright line about this. You know, the first thing is what we're not talking about. You know, we're not talking about mainstream conservatives or free speech advocates. We're not talking about even groups like the NRA or, you know, or National Review or any of those, you know, establishment conservative groups. We're talking about groups that are dedicated to passing legislation that is des designed to curtail equity around uh, around race, gender, sexual orientation immigration status, uh, national national origins, etc. Right. This these are the worst of the worst. Uh, in this list, it includes membership of far right uh, legislators in militia groups, in sovereign citizen groups, in you know groups that are designed to promote the hardest edge of the COVID denial world. It includes anti-vaxxers. It includes. Um, you know, includes folks who 
when they talk about gun rights, they're talking about engaging in a, a second civil war. So we're not talking about your average everyday conservative. We're talking about those groups who fit into this far right category. Um, and to put that number 875 in, in to context, that's over 11.8% of all legislators in the country, or since all but three of them are Republican, it means that that's roughly 22% of all Republican state legislators fall into this category. So, so what, what, so I'm really trying to take this in. So you said it's across all 50 states. We, we got, we got a, what, what, what's, what are some of the states we're looking at in terms of the, the highest concentration of these and also, I want to make it clear: these are people who are already in office. I know there are a lot of correct. Um, yeah. Yes, I know there are a lot yeah. of uh, you know great organizations that track. Oh, this QAnon person is running for office, and now we've got a total of uh, eighty QAnon believers running for office, and obviously that's important reporting too. But this yeah. report solely deals with people already in office. Correct. It's folks who were in office over the last during the last legislative cycle, the 2021 2022 legislative cycle. And so, you know, to answer your question about where these groups are popular, um, for instance, in New Hampshire, there are 62 legislators that fall into that category. And it's a little a bit of an outlier, in part because New Hampshire has about 400 state legislators in their in their, their two branches of their uh, system. But there's still a lot. Um, Pennsylvania has 40 legislators in these groups. Minnesota, 39. Missouri, 36. Arkansas and Maine and Montana all have 34. Georgia, 32. Washington, 30. And Maryland, 27. Jeez. I, I mean, that's, that's the top 10. But uh, what we found is that these were, uh, in terms of overall membership, they were spread almost uniformly across all regions. So in the South, there were 264 of these folks. In the Midwest, 221. In the West, 200. And the Northeast, 191. So that's a pretty that's a remarkably even spread um, for you know what we've seen in terms of activity and certainly in terms of the kind of uh, composition of legislatures. So it was shocking to us to see this number of folks involved in this number of groups. So in the report, we have who, who are some of the um, the because I know you you um, pull out. How did you determine which of these 875 to specifically sort of profile? Because there's a few that you profile and go further into. Um, what was the. Um, uh, deciding factor on who you focus on in this report? Well, when we did the top 10 individuals that we profiled in the middle of the report, we wanted to look at those folks who had some kind of unique characteristics. Um, but we also wanted to try to give a spread in terms of uh, gender balance and in terms of regional focus. Um, so we looked at individuals who represented various elements of this movement. Um, one of those was a guy by the name of Jim Walsh. He's a Washington state legislator. Um, he was selected because amongst all of those individuals on this list, he had joined the most groups. He, in fact, had joined 24 different far right groups. That includes uh, a number of far right paramilitary groups, you know, like the three percenters. Uh, it in it includes. Oh, go ahead. Uh, how did you how did you determine which groups they were a part of? Are we looking at like uh, online affiliation or did you even uh, go further and get like offline uh, affiliation too, like re real life uh, connections? This is all based on their Facebook membership. Right. So this is all based on the, the Facebook group membership. Uh, you know, we have other data that shows some of these individuals involved in the everyday offline world with some of these groups. But to get a kind of comprehensive national coverage, we found that Facebook groups served as a pretty good proxy for us to get a sense of the spread of this. Uh, and so far, it's, it's been pretty, pretty accurate in terms of determining a kind of level of involvement. Right. And are you able to tell how active they are in these groups? Was that? Yeah. Uh yeah, that's another thing we looked at is, you know, the level of which they're participating, you know, so in a bunch of cases, it's more often than not that the legislators are providing their imprimatur to the group by being a member. 
right? It provides them legitimacy and normalize them a little, normalizes them a little bit. And it also then provides them at minimum a pipeline for that misinformation and conspiracy theories to flow into the legislators. Um, so in that case, we're seeing what we're seeing quite often is that for those legislators who don't actively participate, they're still, you know, inundated with this never ending stream of misinformation that does, as I think we'll talk about later, have an impact on the kind of legislation that they support and sponsor. Um, others are far more active. You know, they participate in the groups. Um, they help organize events. They show up uh, and speak at their rallies. So there is definitely also just beyond the, you know, the far right echo chamber on Facebook, there is also those real world implications as well. Right. You know, I think it's important to, for people to understand, too, that the, the detail this report goes into looking at their connections, because I don't, you know, I don't want people saying like, oh. Facebook, you know, these uh, they're, they're liking, you know, they're just liking whatever. No, these people are actively participating in a lot of these groups and, uh, you know, discussing with other people who are in these groups, uh, specifically the the rhetoric that the group's purpose is to spread. <laughs> yeah. It also turns out they're networking with other legislators, you know, sharing ideas and getting, uh, you know, and, and providing legislative maps. Um, you know, in a way that is different than the kind of ways in which we think about kind of far right legislation spreading. So when we looked at the networks of legislators that have developed in this group, we found that it was different than other networks like ALEC, you know, the American Legislative Exchange Council, which has been for years responsible for tons of far right legislation popping up in local state legislatures. This is different. In fact, we found, you know, only around a 30% overlap between the membership that we document in this report and the membership of ALEC. So, you know, we think we're seeing something new here that we ought to be paying a little bit more attention to than we have in the past. Right. Now, what what are we looking at in terms of like who who were who were I know I know you profile let's go into some of the people you profiled because obviously you know you explained why you decided to profile them who who is in your estimation the most imp, uh, the most um, you know integral I guess person to bring up first I mean I guess we brought up Wendy Rogers and her influence seems to be well beyond that of just a state uh, legislate uh, legislator she clearly is also sort of an online right wing uh, like influencer uh, I think that's a good way to describe her. Yeah, she is one of the also one of those bridge figures that has her hands in lots of different pots on the far right and helps kind of network between those different sectors of the movement. Um, how how interesting, many? Oh, no, go, no, ahead. go ahead. No, I don't want to. I want to hear this and then I'll ask you after. Go ahead. I was going to say, interestingly enough, in the current blow up that's happening in the Groiper world, um, it it's come out that the connection made between the Groypers and Wendy Rogers camp was made by Jaden McNeil, one of the folks who is now in a, in quite a vocal spitting match with Nick Fuentes and some of the other Groypers. So, you know, the more that they fight, the more tidbits of information that they leak out to those of us who are paying a little bit closer attention. Right. Now, um, what, I was, what was I going to say? Oh my, I had it in my head and then I got listening to you and I uh, forgot. No, okay, here we go. <laughs> How many? How many um, of those eight hundred seventy-five? How many of those people are? What's the term you called for it again? A bridge connectors or something like that? What was the term you used? Uh, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. How, I, how, that, how, I, that I don't know how many are bridge connectors. If you look on the in the second chapter of the report, we actually have a networking diagram that shows the various legislators and the, connects the various groups to which they belong. I think it's kind of a helpful visualization of you know, the role in which these groups play in helping connect some of these different legislators, um, you know, beyond the state borders. So they're not just, you know, meeting up in the cloakrooms in the oh, state wow. legislatures, a, but they're connecting hardcore, to other folks. This is a hardcore image here. I saw this before and I, and, you know, you describing it just now, this is, you could literally, uh, folks go check out this report. You can literally click on this like spider web of, uh, it looks like a <laughs> galaxy, honestly. Um, and you can like, uh, yeah, and you can click on portions of it and see who's connected to what, like the legislator, their connection to a certain group and where those connections then connect to further down the line. It's pretty incredible. Jeez. 
Um, you know, I, I think this is uh, one of the things I mentioned earlier where, you know, you really just have to go to the link and, and read the report and, and, and play around with this, um, this data because I, we can't discuss 875 <laughs> people and their various different uh, interlocking connections in the time we have here. So who, what, what are some of like when we talk about, um, you know, far right groups and, and what are some of the things that these uh, people, these legislators, these state legislators are advocating for? What, what do we get out of like a Wendy Rogers? What makes someone like Wendy Rogers? Like, obviously, there uh, I've seen her out there and I think everyone's seen her out there, uh, you know, spreading the big lie that, you know, uh, Donald Trump really won the 2020 election, which is not true. Um, you know, these things I think people are familiar with, but I think it also goes even further than most people are aware of when it comes to like the type of beliefs these 875 legislators have, uh, obviously varying for each one, but you know, why don't you break down just some of the things we're talking about here? Sure. Yeah. I think one of the things we really wanted to do with the report is not only just get a sense of who these legislators are and the types of groups they belong to, but also then see if there was any kind of legislative impact. So we looked at the voting records for all 875 legislators in this on a matrix that includes a variety of different uh, anti-human rights and anti-democracy legislation. You know, everything from uh, anti-abortion, anti-immigrant, um, anti-CRT, um, anti-protest legislation, um, COVID denial legislation, um, voter suppression legislation, and others. Uh, and then we looked at, you know, the the amount that the individuals in this report sponsored that kind of legislation. What we found is that these 875 legislators were responsible for uh, sponsoring nearly a thousand pieces of anti-human rights, anti-democracy legislation, you know, everything from the kind of don't say gay bills to the you know, efforts to kind of ban black history under the guise of anti-CRT um, to laws that make it harder to vote, to laws that make it impossible for women to exercise their their reproductive freedom, um, you know, to other anti-trans bills, to uh, laws that make it more difficult to protest, you know, a whole range of things. And we document that all in the report. So I would encourage folks to take a look to see where these legislators are having that kind of impact, um, you know, and the amount of legislation they actually helped pass this year is kind of shocking too. So yeah, please do take a look at that. It was, you know, an incredible amount of work by our team to kind of pull all that together from these various streams to figure out across the board where these folks are having an impact. Right. Now, what uh, could we could we run down a few other of these legislators like after Wendy Rogers, who's someone who you think is important to uh, specifically focus on here? Yeah, there are several that I think we that we highlighted in the report that are really useful to look at. Yeah, let's One talk of those about a few of them. Is yeah. a, what's that? Let's talk about a few of them specifically. Yeah, let's definitely. Oh, cool. Yeah. So there's like Susan DeLemus. You know, she's a New Hampshire House member, um, and she's one of six New Hampshire legislators who belong to sovereign citizen style groups. You know, these are groups who believe that there are two different kinds of citizens, you know, state citizens and 14th Amendment citizens. They're the groups that engage in the kind of paper terrorism. Um, you know, they're the groups who believe with the yellow fringe around the flag and admiralty law and all that kind of stuff. So you have six members of the New Hampshire delegation who are members of one or more of these sovereign citizen groups. Delimus is a prime example of that. Um, not only does she belong to a bunch of these other groups, her husband was actually arrested for his involvement in the first Bundy standoff in Nevada. Jeez. Wow. So, yeah. You know, so that's one example of someone who is deeply involved in the kind of far right paramilitary wing of this movement, yet is sitting in the New Hampshire legislature. Right. Uh, you know, I think another example of that um, that kind of shows the overtime radicalization of these groups is somebody like Tammy Nichols. Tammy Nichols is an Idaho state representative who provides that really interesting case study of how someone can move from starting, 
in, you know, in the 2000 teens in the Tea Party movement, uh, who moved, then moved into the militias and into the insurrectionary bent, bent of groups like Ammon Bundy's People's Rights Network. Um, and is now gauging in the kind of critical race theory attacks and the embrace of the kind of school-centered far-right activism, you know, trying to do the you know, anti-CRT, anti-trans stuff. And uh, so we got uh, – who else is on the list here? I'm looking through. I'm actually sort of – There's somebody, I'm, I'm somebody like Jim I'm, Walsh is the perfect one because he's enamored a member right of now, so actually. many groups. We'll, we'll, we'll take, let's get to Jim Walsh now, but I just wanted to say okay. I'm, I'm sort of distracted right now by – I'm looking at like the percentage – of legislature data you have on the state, like you go state by state and mm-hmm. you give like the, I'm, I'm like, we'll, 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 we'll get a little bit deeper into that in a second. Let's talk about this, this, okay. uh, this, uh, this rep Walsh guy. Yeah. Jim Walsh made the report because we called him the ultimate joiner, right? We found him in 24 different far right Facebook groups. Is that the most right? of all these? That's uh... the most. Yeah. That was, that was surprising to us to see somebody who spends that much time on Facebook and has joined that many groups. Um, and it's a wide range of groups. We're talking about everything from tea party groups to anti Indian groups to, um, three percenter groups to um, Ammon Bundy's People's Rights Network uh, and a bunch of COVID denial groups, right? So he has, you know, successfully used that platform to kind of, in Washington State, network a lot of those different groups and become a real important figure inside that wing of the movement. Right, right. And when they, when they, you know, when, when we, when you were looking at these, um, when you were looking at these legislators. And you were finding uh, them like like how many were we expect like what were you expecting if there was any sort of amount like was there a was there a point where you were like wow this is a little bit like even like more than we thought it would be like was there a point where you were expecting it to be like this like when you were looking through these some of these legislators like that when you saw Jim Walsh's uh, twenty four different far right groups that he was interacting in did this like was this like a a thing that was expected in this report or was it something where it's like you know even we didn't realize it was this bad and you know we 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 cover this stuff well for walsh you know we knew he was a player right we've seen him around at you know a plethora of different far right events over the years so we knew he was a player we didn't know how wide his connections were we had no idea that he was as involved as he was um for a lot of others we had no idea right when we started doing this report shortly after january 6th you know our initial survey found i think three or four hundred and we were shocked by that and then as we kept digging, you know, we kept finding more and more. Um, we also kept finding more and more Facebook groups, which was also kind of shocking to us, you know, especially after, you know, Facebook continues to say, oh, well, we've uh, done everything we can to take these groups down. We've responded after, you know, the next insurrection or the next effort to, you know, to attack a, whatever target. Um, but we keep finding them. They keep popping up and morphing and changing in a variety of different ways. You know, and speaking of the of January 6th, one of the other areas that we found um quite stunning are the number of legislators that we found in the so-called stop the steal groups. You know, those efforts that were organized just before um, the insurrection to kind of stir up the idea that the election was stolen. Um, You know, and in fact, nobody represents that better than uh, Texas uh, representative uh, Phil Stephenson, who's, you know, we've, who we found, I think in about 17 different stop the seal groups before they got taken down from Facebook. So, um, you know, he was really providing again, uh, you know, some vital efforts in networking these various groups around the country and helping introduce their efforts um, and and encouraging them to continue to promote the big lie that the election had been stolen. How did you go, because this is interesting, um, you know, now that you mention it, how did you, how were you able to track this? Because I know, you know, we're talking about stop the steal groups and and you correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, I know Facebook uh, said that they removed uh, as many as they could early on, like in November 2020 when this was going on. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm sure there's been ones that have slipped through the cracks and, you know, know, been recreated and, and, and Facebook didn't take down right away. 
But it seems like at least with something like that, Stop the Steel Group, or I know uh, white supremacist content is also uh, banned on Facebook specifically. Um, and that was a big thing I remember when it happened because mm-hmm. because they were allowing you know they were they were delineating a difference between white supremacist and white nationalist in trying to let some of the content stay, but they decided to uh, then reverse on that, I believe. Um, that's yeah, that's right. Yeah. Right. Um, were were these recent groups they were in, or have you guys been tracking these um, the 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 uh, legislators who join these groups for that long now? Well, we've been tracking the groups for that long. I think one of the the challenges that we've we faced after the Cambridge Analytica scandal was it used to be that you could look at someone's page and see the groups that they belong to, to see what they liked, et cetera. That changed after Cambridge Analytica. Um, so to do this project, we, in essence, had to reverse the process. So what we started with was by collecting the membership roles of the various groups that we were tracking. And then we compared those to the um, to the uh, individual, the uh, campaign and the official Facebook profile URLs of the various legislators. In fact, right. we did that. We did a search to compare those two databases for all 7,338 legislators in the country. Jeez, that's some, uh, wow. Um, so, so, so what you're saying, that's interesting. So what you're saying is you were actually tracking the groups themselves. And then as these legislators joined, you were able to see, oh, wow, this is something that's happening. Yeah, exactly. So when we decided to do this, we knew we had this trove of data, you know, for, as you mentioned, a lot of the militia groups, a lot of the stop to steal groups had been actually, by the time we started working on this, taken down. But we had in our, you know, in our databases, the collection of those members. So we were able um, to then do a pretty simple query to see which of these legislators had joined any of these groups. And so that's how, you know, in the course of doing, you know, some pretty easy data science, we're able to find the the list of 875. Right. So who is another individual we should touch on? Because I feel like we, we only hit three. Maybe we should do two more. Uh, I know you said there was 10 that you, you break down. But I really want people to understand just how, like, you know, we talked about someone in Arizona. Um, Walsh was from – we talked about the, the person from New Hampshire. Where was Walsh from again? Right here in Washington State. Right, Washington State. So we're yeah. – you know, we're, we got, we're not talking about even, like, your traditional red states here. Uh, you know, we're talking about this is this is across the country. Every state you found, right? Yeah, absolutely. All fifty states. Yep. Uh, let me let me actually say uh, mention this data because this is what I was looking at, and it sort of distracted me before because I just couldn't. <laughs> I was just like, oh my god. Um, where did it go? Here we go. The legislators in far right groups. It seems like the most is in New Hampshire, sixty-two yep. legislators, followed by Pennsylvania with forty. And Minnesota with 39. I mean, yeah, I think when people think about where these uh, these individuals are, they're usually probably not thinking New Hampshire, P- maybe PA, PA and Minnesota. <laughs> uh, that's, you know, that's very interesting. In terms of percentage of the legislator, though, 35% of Alaska's legislators are in far-right groups. They were yeah. the number one in terms of percentage of the legislature, followed by... Arkansas, where, a, where more than a quarter of their state legislators were in far uh, had connections to far right groups, uh, and Idaho in third with uh, about tw- a little less than twenty three percent of the legislator legislature. So I mean, I guess you know uh, some states that were the, the the original those first three states we mentioned: uh, New Hampshire, Pennsylvania. Minnesota, a lot more, but also I guess they make up a smaller percentage of the legislature because those are bigger states with more representatives. Um, but still, I mean, geez, uh, both num- both the, the, the top legislator for raw numbers and the percentage ones are, are jarring, to be honest. Absolutely. Yeah, we were, like I said, you know, I've been doing this for got almost 30 years now and very little shocks me. But when we saw that final number of 875, I was stunned. I, you know, 
I made sure we double and triple and quadruple checked it because it was gobsmacking to see that there were so many legislators who had, you know, dipped their toes into this world and had, you know, been fed this kind of unadulterated wash of misinformation, um, you know, and it runs the gamut. I think another legislator that would be good to talk about is somebody like Rick Bratton, you know, a Missouri state legislator who's in the report because of his, you know, because of his efforts to promote um, anti-LGBTQIA stuff, right? Mm, he has right. Um, been really involved in that. And, you know, on the floor of the Missouri legislature, he said, and I quote, when you look at the tenets of religion, of the Bible, of the Quran, of other religions, there is a distinction between homosexuality and just being a human being. Right. So that Jeez. kind of dehumanizing rhetoric on the floor of a state legislature is still happening in 2022. And so I think it is a glaring reminder that while we have made tremendous inroads on a lot of things, that there are those folks who are more than willing to take us back, you know, pretty dramatic steps on a whole lot of different fronts. So, you know, as our founder, Lenny Seskin says, we've got to be able to walk and chew bubblegum at the same time and pay attention to these variety of different places where the fights are going on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was interesting that that was the, I'm glad you brought up that, that, uh, uh, it was Braddon, right? Yeah. I'm glad you brought up Braddon yeah. because the other people we were talking about, you know, obviously horrible, but it seems like Braddon is the one, I'm sure he's not the only one, but, uh, seemed to be the most, uh, prominent and the ones you profiled to have this like, and openly anti LGBT, uh, Q, uh, rhetoric. I mean, I'm sure the, the entirety of them do, but he seems to be uh, particularly focused on that. Um, and that seems to be the rights, uh, not seems, I, don't, I can't even delineate, I can't even like give it that, like, I can't even say that word that like, that, that it's, it's 100%. The right is focusing recently on this, this space being anti L anti LGBTQ all over again. Like it's like, yeah. geez, like we're in like 2000, the early 2000s again or something like that. You know, it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I'm back to 1992 when the Oregon citizens Alliance was running around doing anti-gay stuff in Oregon. Um, that's how far we've stepped back. Um, yeah. It's pretty remarkable to see that, that kind of stuff happening again. Um, and I, I have concerns, of course, that with this current Supreme Court, it is only going to embolden that kind of stuff. And I anticipate we're going to see a lot more emphasis on this side of the ledger. Now, do you do you um, did you happen to look maybe it's in the report? I might have just looked looked over it. But did you connect? I mean, it wouldn't be surprising if all of them, but it's still an interesting uh, data point to see. Did you look into which of these state legislators, if any, were um received endorsements from particularly particular institutional GOP groups or even maybe former president Donald Trump himself we haven't done that that's a you know that's a really interesting question i we've talked about doing that as well as looking at the money trail to figure out where the you know the very if there is any overlap in terms of the variety of different sources but um you know, we wanted to get this out in a timely fashion. So uh, I think those are things we'll do for a later date. But they definitely it definitely begs the question as to, you know, what kind of overlap there is with the, you know, with Trump endorsements and with the Republican establishments and, of course, with the various uh, financial donor sources for these candidates. Right. I mean, I, I'll please when you do that, please come back on the show because I mean, the title yeah, report, yeah. the title report is perfect. Breaching the mainstream because I mean, nothing, nothing would talk about breaching the mainstream more than institutional old school legacy Republican groups and organizations uh, outright coming out and saying, this is our guy. I mean, again, this is not surprising stuff, but no. it would still it would still be interesting to see. Uh, exactly how many and which ones they've thrown their weight behind uh, officially, uh, openly. Because, um, you know, there's still some guys they try to distance from, at least until they, uh, you know, they decide, eh, backing this person openly is actually for our benefit. Um, 
Oh, here's someone. Yeah, oh, know, go ahead. In fact, there are uh, there are a few people who are in the report um, who have since been expelled from their various uh, legislative positions. Uh, folks like Mike Nierman out in Oregon, and uh, you know a few others. So it does happen on occasion, but it is a rare incidence. People who were highlighted in the report or mentioned at least are more likely to die than they are to be expelled uh, from their caucuses. Now. The um, oh, this is someone who I I saw in the report and I knew before reading the report because another one of those influencers like Wendy Rogers, Anthony Sabatini. Can you tell us a little bit about him? Oh I've, yeah, yeah, I've seen his name around. Yeah. Like you know, the, some of these people I, I I might have recall like Susan Delimus, who you spoke about. And Tammy Nichols, they, I, I'm pretty sure I've seen, and Tem, Tammy Nichols especially, because she was an old school Tea Party person, right? Um, yeah. So these are names that I've seen before. But in terms of like like uh, having some sort of influence online and constantly shared, Wendy Rogers is one, and then this Anthony Sabatini I've seen around on, on the social media platforms. Yeah, he, you know, he is quite fond of showing up on social media platforms with his gun. Uh, he likes to uh, be involved in, you know, just about all the different far right mobilizations, you know, everything from kind of stop the steal efforts to the COVID denial stuff. Uh, in fact, in the report, we document him as being involved in five different COVID denial groups, six different stop the steal groups. And, you know, he even joined a group that is influenced by the posse comitatus. So, you know, he's being fed with the furthest of far right ideas um, and is one of those figures that um, has a pretty active online presence. Um, you know, somebody also like that is somebody like Aaron Bernstein uh, from Pennsylvania, uh, who in the report we call Mr. COVID denial because he's joined so many different COVID denial groups and is a, you know, a constant purveyor of the latest and greatest COVID conspiracy. You know, even to this day, he's out there promoting, you know, a range of COVID conspiracies. Um, and has been influential at helping use that platform to radicalize around other things like CRT and anti-trans stuff and and move that mobilization into, you know, into a, a more hard right direction. Um, I think one of the things that we really took away from this report um, is for us, it was it reminded us the importance of really paying attention um, to the movements on the ground and their interaction with legislators. You know, so rather than looking at the kind of billionaires or the funding sources, it was also important to see where the connections were happening on the ground and where uh, the, that kind of synergy was happening between these legislators and the and the grassroots. And so by reversing the process and starting with the groups, it gave us a, you know, a kind of bottom up look at what was happening, uh, which I think illuminated a lot of things we wouldn't have otherwise seen. Right. Right. That's interesting. Um, so, right. Um, so I'm looking now at the legislative impact section and I'm, I'm surprised. Geez, this is what I mean. We're 45 minutes in and we haven't got to the, uh, you know, <laughs> the actual impact on those state laws. Uh, so, again, I want to, again, tell people to please check out this report. It's honestly um, really one of the more – and I'm not even just talking about like the actual uh, – the, obviously the data is incredible and what you guys were able to pull. But it's very well put together. Um, Thank it's you. Not, it's Thank not you. just you know a, a boring uh, – and I don't – for me, I it's not. But I'm talking about for you know the average reader, they hear a report and they probably think, you know uh, – a scientific, you know, journal type article or just, uh, you know, pages of text. No, this is put together in a way where there's a lot of um, images and graphics to help you better understand the um, the just how uh, the impact of the situation is, um, and that that um, that that spider web of connections is incredible too. So let's talk about the legislative impact here. Um, what are we talking about in terms of uh, how powerful these far right state legislators have been able to be in their, you know, in the states where they were elected? 
Yeah, I think this was really the most eye-opening thing for us to find that they'd been so successful at sponsoring, you know, just a range of le legislation, you know, from anti-abortion to anti-CRT to anti-immigrant to anti-LGBTQIA to anti-protest, COVID denial and voter suppression. We found that these legislators were responsible for nearly 1,000 pieces of legislation uh, being co-sponsored. Uh, and as a result of that, they passed a shockingly high number of them as well. Um, not an overall big percentage, but you know, given the fact that some of these bills were some of the harshest uh, and uh, most extreme we've seen in years to see them having any kind of success um, was pretty shocking. Uh, and again, their success, while they are these groups, these individuals were spread all around the country, they had the most success at co-sponsoring those bills regionally in the South, um, where they introduced, you know, a ton particularly voter suppression bills, where in the South they introduced and co-sponsored 100 different uh, voter suppression bills. In the South, they co-sponsored 98 different COVID denial bills, 52 different uh, anti-protest laws, uh, 44 different anti-LGBTQ bills, eight anti-immigrant ones, 56 anti-CRT bills, and 69 anti -abortion, pieces of anti-abortion legislation. Now, not all those got passed. Um, I would encourage you to take a look in terms of the the success rates to look, you know, specifically at your area in the report. I mean, we could spend all days just rattling through the numbers. But, um, you know, we document at the end, you know, the exact bills that got passed and the kind of impact that they have. Um, you know, and for this, we were, you know, so fortunate to have other groups who tracked the legislative side much more closely than we do. So, you know, for the anti Abortion stuff. We looked at, uh, you know, the the amazing work that that the Gutmacher Institute is doing. You know, for the anti-voting rights stuff, we looked at the stuff that the Brennan Center for Justice is doing in terms of tracking the stuff. Um, the anti-protest stuff. There's a there's an amazing nonprofit that tracks anti-protest legislation for COVID denial. We had to look at a couple of different lists, including the National Association of State Legislators. But to then see in action the kind of impact that they were having in terms of this bill sponsorship. Um, because I, you know, I know so often in progressive politics, we think about, oh, these bills are just messaging bills or, oh, they, they won't get passed. It doesn't mean anything, but they are clearly signifiers to the ideological base, um, that their ideas are supported by these legislators and that they have, uh, they are being not only supported rhetorically, but they're also being introduced as pieces of legislation and, you know, they're being, uh, debated, on. Uh, in committees and on house floors and in some cases even getting passed. Do we, do we know um, in terms of how many have been passed? I'm sorry if you, you said, but I, there was, a, I know you mentioned how many were, were present, like uh were up for vote, right? Let me get you the, hold on. I, you know, sure, that's, no, that's a number that always a, this escapes is, me. This is a lot of, yeah. I want people to understand, this is a lot of data here. I don't think, I, really, yeah. you have to check out the report. We're talking about, um, how many different sections are there here? We got eight. Um, we got, geez, ch you, chapters. That's how you, yeah, I forgot that's how you, in total, six... it's a, in total, it's about 40,000 words. Um, yeah, it's a and, incredible yeah. report. <laughs> and you know, because it's so big, we've gotten so, a lot of so, feedback by that. And so we're going to do it also a print version of it. So people can, you know, so people can sit down and read it because, you know, it's a lot. Um, and we want people to have access to this and use it as a resource to see what's going on in their communities. And if nothing else, provide kind of a benchmark for this is what things are like on the ground in 2022. This is what we're up against. And so I'm hoping that it'll have that kind of impact. But I actually do have the number now. Um, it had escaped me. Uh, in total, these these 875 legislators had been responsible for 963 different bills. Of those, 100 became law. So they were able to pass 100 different bills. 
uh, across that stream of anti-democracy, anti-human rights legislation that we mentioned. Um, I think the largest concentration of those that passed uh, were the anti-abortion ones, followed close behind by the uh, COVID denial, anti-protest, and um, you know some of the other bills. But yeah, so it runs the gamut in terms of being able to dramatically alter what state government looks like um, because there are these new networks and these new ideological formations forming, you know, often right in front of our eyes. So, yeah. So in a lot of ways, doing this 30,000 foot look at what's going on was, I think, you know, really helpful for us organizationally to get a sense of how far this stuff had moved into the mainstream. Uh, and we're hoping it'll inspire other folks to um, start digging into some of this research and finding out more of these connections where this stuff is having an impact and, um, you know, and maybe people start to take action on it as well. Right. I mean, this is that's what this report. Uh, I mean, that's what I meant at the beginning of this episode where um you know, all the horrible things happening. This report is an eye-opening one that obviously lays out the horrible things, but should inspire you or at least, you know, light a fire in you, at least to vote, I mean, in your state <laughs> races. I mean, please pay attention to what's going on. I mean, uh, we're seeing how they're uh, using the state uh, to basically get around what they can't do at a federal level. I mean, look at what's happening in Florida and Texas. Um, look yep. what's happening in, uh, you know, when it, and I can name issues too. We got what's going on with the LGBTQ community in those states, specifically uh, when it comes to trans rights. Uh, we can talk, we even talk about uh, education and what they're doing to uh, LGBT uh, students and teachers. Um, we have uh, abortion rights now up, uh, you know, uh, probably going to be sadly up for grabs in each state and states like Texas, uh, Florida and a number of other of these red states will be able to outright ban it. Um, you know, obviously at a federal level is what we prefer these laws to, um, you know, to, to covers. So we don't have to worry on, on each state as an individual when it comes to basic human rights. But at the same time, if this is the cards we're currently dealt, unfortunately, we have to play that state's rights game and work to uh, vote against far-right candidates and vote in better candidates. And I don't care who those candidates are as long as they are better than the far-right ones. Uh, and, you know, in a, in, a, in, a, you know, in a state like New York or whatever, how many, by the way, do we got in New York uh, far-right uh, legislators. I want to show people how blue liberal East Coast elite <laughs> New York's got uh, plenty of them as well. You know, that's a great question. Let me look for you right here in my home state. Uh, New York is actually smaller. It only has eight. You know, and I'm sure they're all upstate too, for the most part. Yeah, I think that's right. Right. Yeah, but if, I mean, if you if you look, one of the cool things that's also in the report of the maps. You know, I'm right. really kind of fond of the maps. It was a challenge to to do things to map out state legislatures because they, you know, they're they're way different than you know federal legislature districts, and they, uh, yeah, it's not easy to you know figure out how to how to map all those. So yeah, I'm nerding out on the on the maps in the report, but yeah, please do check them out. They're kind of fun. You know, it's it's you know even the eight though in New York State. I mean, there you go. Uh, who has the least? Would it be? I'm gonna I'm gonna throw like uh, I don't know uh, Vermont out there just because they probably have the least in the overall aggregate uh, of legislators in general. Um, um, there are three tied for least: Delaware, Hawaii, and Vermont. Okay, yeah. so I was I scored a. a you point. are correct. Right. In fact, you you get the double bonus because Vermont, as a percentage of the legislature, it is the smallest at point five six. So yes, you you would win the award. You know, but that's for guessing even, on that. That's even more sort of impressive, uh, being that I'm assuming Vermont's legislator bod, legislative bodies are are very small to begin with. So you would even assume that three would take up a larger percentage of if it was three in another state. Just one, just one. Each of those has one. So yeah. Right, 
Right. Yeah. So, so yeah. So, I mean, apparently oh, 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 they must right. have. I'm sorry. I misunderstood. You said there were three states that each had one. Yes. Got it. Okay. That's I right. misunderstood. Yeah. I thought it was three no, no, states. No, 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 no worries. Uh, right. Yeah. No, Delaware, Hawaii, and Vermont all just have one legislator. All right. So, um, be more like Delaware, Vermont. I can't believe I'd ever tell anyone to be more like Delaware, but be more like Delaware, Vermont, and Hawaii. We should all be more like Hawaii, to be quite honest. Uh, I can, I can use a trip to Hawaii, <laughs> by the way. Uh, I'm not yeah, even no a doubt. beach person. I could just, just, I just want to go far away for a, for a little bit, just to dis, just disappear for a while, you know? Oh, uh, that'd be nice. That'd be so <laughs> nice. I wouldn't even go on the beach. I would just stay <laughs> in a hotel room, just away from anybody, everybody, all, everything going on in the mainland. Hell, I'll even go to Alaska just to let you know how far away I need to get for a little bit. <laughs> uh, and Alaska had a high percentage too. Uh, <laughs> the highest yes. right yeah right so uh, in terms of the report's conclusion um what 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 is it by the way <laughs> <laughs> what what are we concluding here in terms of um it's bad obviously uh, but I, I i don't think that's all you said that's my takeaway but again i'm an optimist i think this is the report people need to see to Hell, get involved yourself, please. If you're someone, we're talking state politics here. You can, we're talking like at district levels. We're talking about if you, you know, if you got a car, you could probably hit up every home in some of these districts in a matter of like a few months. Like this is, these are small state legislator, uh, legislative districts we're talking about in a lot of sense. I'm sure there are states where it's much bigger because of the population and everything. But anyway, um, for the most part, yeah, some you of these can, folks have won with as as little as a few thousand votes. Right. You can so, you yeah. can make a difference here. And I'm telling you, um, it means a lot when people meet with someone, especially for these statewide races. Um, I know of uh, older people who, uh, again, they were probably going to vote Democrat anyway. But in terms of a primary, uh a you know I know some a few older people who uh, got visited by uh, one of the people in that primary and just from that visit and physically meeting that person and talking with them and connecting on that human level that's the person they decided to vote for so this is where you can do that and this is where you can actually make that difference and and you know fight off any of these far right uh, legislators who are making this country worse when it comes to horrible legislation that that strips some of our most vulnerable of their basic rights yeah i think one of the things we learned in the course of doing this report was just how bad it had gotten um you know in terms of the legislative impact and the breadth of this stuff um that i think alone is stunning and should be cause for concern. Um, anecdotally, <laughs> I can tell you, we've started to look at the the batch of candidates who are out there right now. And there's a whole group of folks who are trying to get elected this time around who make these folks look moderate. Um, and so I think that, of course, is going to be an even bigger challenge um, because this stuff is not going away anytime soon. January 6th was the, you know, more the coming out party for these, uh, for the far right's efforts to, to move into the mainstream rather than was the end of any kind of movement. And I think that it's also important to remember to pay attention to the legislators we've cited in this report, because quite often state legislators serve as the farm teams for those who run for a higher office. So today's you know, New Hampshire state legislator could be tomorrow's U.S. senator or they could be running for, you know, for any other or governor or any other kind of office. So we have both have to keep in mind this stuff in the short term and the kind of impact that they're having legislatively, get involved you know, in, in those kind of legislative fights um, and take on those issues and speak out for them. Um, then also engage politically to defend democracy and human rights. And then even more importantly is, you know, pay attention to this stuff for the long term, because, you know, you don't want to wake up tomorrow and find that, oh, well, I just thought that this person was a joke. And, you know, six years later, find out that they're now the governor of your state and is, you know, the chief executive, um, you know, making sure that anti-trans or anti-LGBTQIA or anti-abortion or any of these other kinds of pieces of legislation are getting passed. Um, the 
kind of composition of the Republican Party today is changed dramatically from even what we thought about it a couple of years ago in the kind of MAGA version. You know, that make America great again version is in the past. And this is no longer just about Donald Trump. It's no longer just about the kind of uh, message that he's putting forward, but in fact is taking on a life of its own now. And that there are lots of future uh, candidates who are now taking up the mantle and, you know, burrowing in at the state legislature and thinking about long term how they're going to take over the levers of power at higher offices. Right. Devin Burkhart, <laughs> my God, once again, a great episode. I feel like every time you come on, you got something uh, absolutely uh, amazing. And we didn't even get to the, I mean, you mentioned it, a little tease, but we didn't even get to the Groiper, uh, I don't know, uh, drama infighting. I mean, oh, I think so I think, much drama. I think drama. So much drama. I think yeah. drama is a good description of it, but I also don't want to downplay it as just like you know your basic like internet YouTuber drama or something. I think it's important to see uh, what's coming out of this in terms of details about Nick Fuentes and his organization and and what he runs. Uh, that is eye-opening, I think, in many ways about how some of these guys run. And Fuentes is the perfect example of of one of them. Absolutely. Yeah, I think it's a, you know, you'll have to have me on again to talk about that because it is not only just that kind of, you know, interesting internet drama uh, where, you know, his former allies are now calling Nick Fuentes the semen inspector, but it is, um, you know, but it is a, uh, it, it is a sign that Fuentes and his wing of white nationalism are trying to more fully embrace kind of the kind of incel side of the the equation and trying to use that to build their platform upon, as opposed to those who are trying to be more of the more explicit mainstreamers like McNeil and some of the other characters. Right. Uh, Devin, again, like you said, you have to come on and, uh, again, to talk Anytime. about that. Yep. Let's, let's schedule something in a, a few weeks just so, uh, cool. we don't get this too far out and, uh, right yeah, on. uh, have a, uh, oh, Devin Burghardt, executive director of the Institute for Research and Education on Human Rights. Everyone check out the report. It's in the description on YouTube and in the description on the Patreon public post. And, oh my God, the Patreon public post didn't go out. What the hell? I'm publishing it right now. How did that not go out? My bad. It's up now, folks. Please go check it out. Um, damn, that sucks. I guess people didn't get the uh, heads up in their email if they're subscribed to the Patreon. Jeez, I gotta, I gotta see what happened there. Well, anyway, Devin, where can people find you on uh, online? Uh, drop the, you know, the website URL, your Twitter handle, anything that you want to drop. Please, by all means, go ahead. Cool. Yeah, you can find me. Our website is irehr.org. You can find me on Twitter at dburghart. That's D-B-U-R-G-H-A-R-T. Or follow us at, at irehr, also on Twitter. Thank you so much, Devin. Uh, have a great night. Thanks, Matt. Always a pleasure. Yep. Take care. Take it easy. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to go to... The second half of the show, bloop, bloop. Um, do, 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 and talk about, uh, I'll take calls. Um, you know, there was a, uh, hours before, uh, we went live here, there was a, um, another shooting, um, this one in, uh, Texas, in elementary school is a school shooting. Last I saw, geez, uh, 21 people dead. Jeez, um, I don't even know the breakdown, the most recent breakdown of those numbers, to be honest. I'm seeing 18 kids. I'm seeing 19 kids. Before that, there was something like 14 kids. It's It's just, you know. It's just enough, you know, too much. I, I, I really am at a loss for words. What more can you say at this point, honestly? Um, uh, so let's go to the second half of the show. 
Uh, you can talk about whatever you want. You can call in. I'll open up the Skype. Uh, Doomed Live is the Skype username. Call in. Um, you can also... Oh, uh, I'll just really quickly drop some things that you can do to support the show. Don't want to spend too much time on that right now. Um, Patreon.com slash Matt Binder. If you would like to financially support this show. Um, also, you can... Um, I'm just thinking right now. Um, support the show at youtube.com slash Matt Binder if you don't already watch the live stream there. And um, you know, if you would uh, subscribe to the channel, that would be great if you're not already subscribed. Twitch.tv slash Matt Binder is also another place you can catch the live stream. Um, if you uh, can't afford to or don't want another subscription, a paid subscription via the Patreon page, consider connecting your Amazon Prime account to your Twitch account and <clears throat> excuse me, and you get a free Twitch Prime subscription, a free paid subscription. That's right, costs you nothing. It comes. Uh, free with your Amazon Prime, um, with your Amazon Prime uh, account, and you just got to connect your Amazon Prime account to your Twitch account, and Twitch gives you that free Prime subscription, and you can give that to any Twitch streamer you'd like. Uh, you don't have to give it to me. Uh, I'm telling you about it so you do give it to me, and um, if you would uh like to give it to me as your streamer that'd be great if not don't worry about it give it to another leftist streamer give it to another progressive streamer give it to another streamer you enjoy um uh, give it to uh whoever you would like just don't let it go to waste basically don't let amazon just walk away with that extra little you know amount they give give it to a streamer it literally comes free with your amazon prime subscription don't let it go to waste uh, follow me on Twitter at Matt Binder, doomedcast.com for the podcast version of the show. Uh, check out Scam Economy, scameconomy.com for the podcast version of that show. I will be doing a live Scam Economy as part of the Digital Void Brooklyn Fest um, this Thursday. Thursday. Uh, details you can find on my Twitter page um, or go to... Uh, let me get the actual, actual website. Digitalvoid.media. Digitalvoid.media. Uh, tickets are, are very cheap. I believe they're like ten bucks or something like that. Maybe fifteen. Let me let me double check for you. It'll be a good time. Uh, I'm not the only person. It's a whole fest with some great. It's a great lineup. Um, yeah, fifteen dollars tickets. And the lineup is um, uh, Bridget Todd from There Are No Girls on the Internet. Um, myself, uh, Dylan Adler, uh, Joy Ray, uh, Calhan Rosenblatt. Uh, Steven Castillo, Jake Flores, uh, Emily Burke, Ryan Broderick, who's been a guest on Scam Economy, and uh, Dr. Jamie Cohen. Uh, please um, check it out. And um, if you're in Brooklyn, come by, say hello. Uh, and if you aren't in Brooklyn or can't come out, that will be this week's episode of Scam Economy. So it'll, it'll, it will be going up you know, a little bit uh, later than usual. Usually the show goes up Thursday night and I do the live stream right here Thursday night. But being that I'll be doing a live in-person show in Brooklyn Thursday night, obviously the show won't be going up simultaneously as a podcast and on my stream. They're streaming it themselves, the Digital Void Media Fest. So I'll get you the link to that if there is going to be a, a, a live link, like a public link for that. They might, I'm not sure if they, you need a ticket for that too, but I'll let you know. But either way, my portion, the Scam Economy portion, is 100% mine and will be the free podcast version. Um, and you will all be able to listen to it if you can't come out to Brooklyn. So, folks, yep. Uh, see you in the second half of the show if you're a live stream viewer or a patron viewer. For everybody else uh, who isn't sticking around or just listens to the audio version, only the audio-only version of the show, uh, I will see you all next time on Doomed.